Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Meet me in Acts chapter 2. Acts is in the New Testament right after the four accounts of the life of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, as we continue our conversation that we are calling ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church that's translated in our English Bibles. Ed Stetzer is a professor at Wheaton College in Chicago. He produces these massive studies about the church, about church movements. If you've ever seen uh, an article online about you know statistics, church trends, it's probably related to him and his work in some way. One of his most haunting quotes is about contextualization, which is a big fancy word for the task of communicating the good news of Jesus to our current cultural moment. He says this, about contextualization. If the 1950s return, the majority of churches in America are ready to go. The 1950s return, and the majority of churches in America are ready to go. He goes on to unpack that a little bit and, and kind of go decade by decade, and he shows how, as you move through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, the percentage of churches that are effective at communicating the gospel into their context shrinks to the point where today in 2021 less than 10 percent of churches he says are effective at communicating the good news of jesus to our culture in this moment the 1950s return the majority of churches in america are ready to go now this is one way of speaking into the calling that we have, that Discovery has as a church here in Davis, California. We believe God is up to something here. God is up to something new, and we want to be a part of that. Join Him in that. Not just run the same old playbook and hope for better results, but to step into the unknown and to try new things into this adventure with Jesus as we looked at last week. Following him into building a new kind of church for our current moment. Now, the adventure, of course, can be a bit scary. When we step into the unfamiliar and into the new, it is different. It is, by definition, not familiar, and that can be unnerving to us. But Jesus put it this way No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. We are very much in a new wine moment. And this is why we turn our attention to the story of the church in the book of Acts, where we see Jesus inviting his, his first followers, subsequently inviting us into the great adventure, this incredible Adventure, this ends of the earth adventure of sharing the good news with really the whole world, right? But certainly here with Davis, Yolo County, 
and wherever God may take us. Now, as potentially daunting as that is, right, the good news we saw last week is that he tells us we have everything we need for this adventure. Power and witness. His presence with us and our stories, the things that we have seen and experienced and know. Now to Acts chapter 2, the adventure begins with waiting. Everyone's favorite thing to do, right? Wait around for something to happen. Jesus says, I want you to wait here until my spirit comes uh, upon you. So 120, the first 120 followers of Jesus are doing this very thing. They're in Jerusalem, hanging out, waiting to see what's going to happen. And as they're waiting, the calendar turns to this, this day called Pentecost. This is verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. This is one of those things that we can read right past and it just kind of like, oh yeah, whatever, and you move on to the next thing. But this is so important, the timing of this. Now at this point in the story, in the story of Scripture, Pentecost does not mean what it means today. And when I say today, I literally mean today. May 23rd, all around the world, churches are celebrating Pentecost which is, is now, 2,000 years later, a day where we celebrate the birthday of the church. It's a birthday party for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, in the story here, in Acts chapter 2, it refers to the Jewish festival called Shavuot. Shavuot. It's the festival of, of weeks, and its origins are in the Exodus story. God says, hey, when you, um, now that you're free from slavery in Egypt and you guys begin to move through, uh, you know, settling into a new land, you're going to have these different festivals and celebrations throughout the year. And so you're going to celebrate Passover. And then seven weeks later, you are going to, and this is where, where Pentecost comes from. It's 50 days. Seven weeks later, you are going to celebrate a festival uh, to commemorate the harvest that will take place at that, po- at that point in the year. So this is where we are. The disciples are waiting. Honestly, they're hiding out, wondering what is going to happen next. There's this big festival that's happening around them in the city of Jerusalem. It's all about celebrating a harvest, a harvest that's connected to the Passover, rescue from slavery in Egypt. And it's a festival that brings Jewish people from all over the known world to Jerusalem. This is the moment that they are in. This is the backdrop to this very dramatic story. Look at what happens next. They were all together. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. They were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. We've had some pretty windy days here in Davis. You can use your imagination to to think about what this might have been like, right? The blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. They began to speak different languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I'm going to summarize very quickly the rest of the story. There's a bunch of people who see this happen. They are amazed. The only rational explanation they have for this is that these people must be drunk. So this is kind of a humorous moment in the story that leads to Peter making a speech, just an incredible sermon. 
And the response to that sermon is that 3,000 people join the church. The adventure is on. Now, there's a lot that we could look at in this story. But I want to hone in on, on three truths about Pentecost, three foundational theological truths about the Holy Spirit. Because let's be honest, if you've been in church for a while or if you know things kind of about the larger church, you know that the Holy Spirit can be a very misunderstood thing. Three foundational theological truths about the Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit arrives and we indeed see a display of power. The Holy Spirit brings supernatural power into our reality, into our world. Now, look at how this power manifests itself. The Holy Spirit manifests His power verbally, which is interesting and also fitting within the larger story of Scripture. God creates the world using His words. Jesus is described, John chapter 1, as the Word. The Bible, of course, is referred to as God's Word to us. God, the Lord, Yahweh, is a verbal, communicative God. And when His Spirit shows up in power, it arrives with a verbal empowering, a verbal gift, enabling people to speak, to speak to and to understand each other, which is pretty cool, right? My kids are bilingual. They're, they're doing it the hard way, right? At school, every day, immersed in two different languages. I only speak one language. I would love this gift of sort of automatic multilingualism, and I'm sure my kids would too. Verbal understanding is a crucial truth about the Holy Spirit. And again, today, so much theology around the Holy Spirit tends to create more confusion than understanding. And there are positions about this, right? That, that, that stances that different people take which divide us. And that's the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit actually does. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there's communication and understanding and connection and unity. Which leads us to the second truth here, speaking of unity. The Spirit arrives and this power brings very different groups of people together. The Spirit brings unity. Very different groups of people coming together. Luke goes well out of his way to name all the different people involved. Look at verses 5 through 11. Now I want to slow down here for a minute because there's actually two more theological truths embedded into this sort of larger point. I want to talk about those for just a second. First, there is no honest reading of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to say this very plainly. There is no honest reading of Scripture without recognizing the importance of race, ethnicity, and culture. Ethnicity and culture are all over Scripture. And here in Acts, we get yet another very clear example of this. Now, taking this a step further, this is the second sort of sub-truth here, right? The, truth, or the story of Scripture always deals in particularities and details. Particularities, specifics, details. Sin tends to abound 
in abstractions. And if you think about even going back to Genesis chapter 3, right, when sin enters the story, what does is, what is the, the snake do? What does Satan do? He abstracts what God had said. He takes the details and he abstracts them. This is why there are so many lists of names and places throughout Scripture. And sometimes, you know, uh, we're reading through these things and it can, be, it can be quite boring, like so-and-so was 900 years old or, you know, this person beget that person who beget that person. Like, I get it. Those can be very boring passages of Scripture, but what it communicates to us is that God cares about names and places, the details, the specifics, because details are personal and relational. God loves us, not in the abstract, but personally and relationally. Are you with me? God loves you in the details about you. God loves your name and your place. God loves your personality and your culture and your ethnicity and the way that you laugh. He loves your freckles and your hair and your crazy family and the experiences that you've had. God loves you in the details of who you are, in the fullness of who you are. Now, the scene here in Acts chapter 2 goes very much back to that moment in Genesis 3 and, and the subsequent events, right? What is happening here in Acts chapter 2 It is an outpouring of the resurrection of Jesus and a continual undoing of the fall, of the effects of sin. It provides a stunning picture of the power of Jesus' resurrection to bring shalom and reconciliation, restoration, peace to the actual world in which we live. A couple thoughts about this. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are this sort of prehistory. These stories that explain the human condition so succinctly and profoundly. We're of course told about creation, right? How God creates the world, again, through his, the power of his word. We're told about shalom, the way that God intended the world to work right relationships between God and humans, between human beings, men and women, and then between humans and the rest of creation. We're also told, of course, in chapter 3 about humans' rebellion against this, what we call sin, and that the impact of sin is death and separation. It is broken relationships. This is only the first couple chapters, by the way. And then 4 through 11, Genesis 4 through 11, show us the further uh, deterioration and breakdown of relationships, murder, violence on a larger scale, natural disaster, flood, right, caused by God, and then a story about a tower, which might feel like a, a, a bit of an outlier, but the, the story about this tower is very much connected to what happens here in Acts chapter 2 with the beginning of the church. Now, the, the tower story was all about People coming together to elevate certain people, to control other people, and here's the, here's the key line, to make a great name for themselves. They wanted to make a great name for themselves. God's response to their hubris is to scatter them and to give them different languages in a way to make it more difficult for them to sin. By the way, this leads to all other kinds of ways to sin. Never underestimate our creativity. 
when it comes to sinning. But back to Acts chapter 2, the inauguration of the church is the reversal of Babel. The Spirit of God gathering people together, that, that phrase, they were all in one place, is a signal to us. Back to Genesis. They were all, all gathered together. The, the Spirit brings people together across cultural, ethnic, gender, political, economic lines. They're able to understand each other. Right now, they're speaking in a common tongue, uh, able to know what one another is saying and meaning. And the goal here is not to make their name great, but to declare, this is verse 11, to declare the wonders of God. To make the name of the resurrected Jesus great which is the final truth there. The Spirit comes in power, bringing understanding and unity, not to build up the apostles' brand or to make their names great, not to platform Peter and get him more followers on Instagram, but to declare God's wonders, to lift up the name of the resurrected Jesus. And this, of course, is what Peter does next. Again, People watching this are like, what is going on here? What have these people been drinking? Peter gets up to clear the air, and wow, what a sermon he delivers. He connects all these events. Jesus, his death, the resurrection, the ascension, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. He connects this to the larger story of Scripture, to God's plan for redemption and salvation. Particularly, he connects it to a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Joel where God pours his spirit out on the old and the young, sons and daughters, men and women. God pours his spirit out, not sprinkled, not a couple of drops poured out. To bring people together, to build a new community, a new humanity, to lift up and make great the name of the resurrected Jesus. Now again, 2,000 years later, still so much confusion about the Spirit, so I want to be as simple and direct as I possibly can here. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. Back to Genesis chapter 3 for just one more moment. God used to walk with us back in the garden. His presence consistently there with us, sustaining us. Sin enters the story and we see separation, disconnection, uh, distance from the presence. But the good news is that God, from that moment on, begins to, to draw close, does whatever he can to close that, that gap of separation between us. He does it through Abraham's family. He does it through a burning bush, through a pillar of fire. He does it through a wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant. He does it through structures like the tabernacle and the temple. And then ultimately, he draws close to us in the person of Jesus. His son, fully human, fully God, present on earth. Now, God draws close to us through his spirit, his actual presence with us, in us, personal, relational, placed, named. The God who created the world through the power of his words 
the God who sent his son, the word, to save you and me. That same God dwells in you through his spirit. In you and with you. That power, that word is leading, guiding, advocating for us through his spirit. His presence with us. God is communicating with us all the time the God of verbal communication and understanding is speaking to you. As we go on this adventure with Jesus, he is with us through his spirit to the very end of the age, right? As Jesus says, talking with you, speaking with you, listening to you through scripture, through other people, through experiences, through our personal conversation with him through his spirit. God is speaking to us. How many times does Jesus say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. God is speaking. Do we have the ears to hear? Are we listening? Again, as we think about the larger context of our our, our mission as a church, the adventure that Jesus calls us on, we also don't want to lose this ability to listen. And so what we wanted to do this morning is to just give you a few minutes to do that very thing, to listen. So as we prepare for communion, and as we close our time this morning in worship and reflection, we of course in the communion moment remember and celebrate the wonders of God, the death and resurrection of Jesus. As Peter says in Acts chapter 2, God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so it is for us. And so we remember and celebrate that in these very simple elements, bread and juice, bread and wine, whatever you may have in front of you this morning. We celebrate and remember that, but we also posture for a moment to listen. To say, God, what what do you want to speak to me? To say, I I want to hear and and have my ears in tune with your spirit. The good news is that the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who saved us from our sins, wants to speak to us. And so how is God speaking to you today? Let's take a few moments to listen together.